Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Please turn with me with your Bibles, and we're going to go to the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah. I invite you to grab your devices, the prophet Isaiah, your Bibles, and you should be able to, with the QR code, there's notes if you want to just take your phone, you can grab those notes. Uh, I want to take you to the prophet because this is where I've been feeding on for the last three weeks. Uh, We're encouraging you this month that in this month, if you would consider a fast, if you would consider a fast in prayer, a fasting means you abstain from something and and often fasts are related to food, and so it could be uh, food for a period of time or, or types of food or sessions where you will not eat. And in that time, you will pray. You will give yourself in devotion to the Lord. It can be fasting other things. Uh, for instance, us, we, we were fasting five weeks of TV, and so it's not turned on. Uh, it gives you a lot more time. And we're fasting areas in our devices. We're just not going there. We're not going to look to it. Uh, so we do the essentials, but beyond that, we don't want to. Uh, we... We're going to fast that. We're going to use that to cleanse ourselves. And so encourage you to do that. Encourage you to consider that. If you haven't started, encourage you to consider that. And so I've been doing that, and I've been reading very, very slowly from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and just finished yesterday. And a ton of just, as he just downloads. And a lot of it is between the Lord and me. I don't share. I've, I've learned that years ago. There's stuff he wants to deal with Wayne about. And then there's stuff that Wayne needs to talk about. And this is one of the ones that, as I was reading it, it's the one that Wayne needs to talk about. Isaiah chapter 4. Going to read it? Have you got it? It goes like this. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man. Oh, someone got excited. Now, if I was to just stop right there, some of you men would be pretty delight-filled. And other men would be traumatized. In that day, seven women will take hold... This is a prophecy Isaiah is giving. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, we will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. Father, we just ask that you would help us to understand what you were saying to Isaiah. Help us to understand that if that means something for us in this hour, that we don't miss it. Lord, we know we we already declared your word doesn't come back empty, and so God, I pray it will not today. Our hearts are open to receive what it is you have to say. In your precious name, amen. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man. You may or may not have heard a message preached on this one. It's kind of like some of you are thinking, where's he going to go with this one? This scripture's often been misunderstood. As I began to look at it deeper, some scholars believe that this event took place back in the time of King Ahaz, who is a king of Judah. Back in the Old Testament time, King Ahaz had been... Uh, hit by a wartime event where he lost 120,000 of his fighting men. And so some scholars believe that seven women take hold of one man is because uh, the ratio was seven to one. 
and therefore seven women, one man. Problem with that is there's nothing to back it up. There's no evidence, there's no scripture, nothing said about that ratio. So we have to dismiss that because nothing else is said. If God wanted us to believe that, then he would have said the ratio, but he didn't. So it's probably not the time of King Ahaz. I think the key to understanding this is the key to the very first three words, in that day. In that day. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. Here's what we can expect. In that day, seven women. Seven. Something we can expect, this is very symbolic, and if you read Isaiah, you have to work through a lot of symbols. Because he is seeing something and it doesn't make a lot of sense. He's just, he's just downloading stuff that he's seeing in these visions. And he does it in his understanding. So it's, it's filtered through that. So there's a lot of symbols, as you will, with any of the prophets. Symbols. And one of the symbols is seven. Seven. Not meant to be taken literally, meant to be symbolic. He's referring symbolically. We know symbols in the Bible. We know seven is symbolic of completion. Uh, it's uh, symbolic of seven, six days God created the earth, and the seventh, the seventh, completion a day where you would just rest in him, place him back into the center of everything. We know that seven today still, in the six days, that in the seventh you give the Lord that day. We understand even the story of Elijah, where Elijah at the time of famine, where it hadn't rained, called his servant to go out and look. And the seventh time, symbolic, seventh time, the clouds began to form and the rain would fall. Seven, symbolic of God's completion. It's coming to its fullness, his completion. So we come down to the seven. The picture here, seven, is symbolic of God's completion. I also want to draw attention to, in here, if we were to continue in the next Verse, in verse 2, it says, in that day, again, the very same words as verse 1. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. Now, the branch, again, symbolic, not referring to a branch on a tree. It's symbolic, and he's speaking of the branch, which is beautiful. He's speaking of the churches as the branch. We understand that God is ministering to the churches in the last day, and he speaks according to a picture of not only completion, but a picture of that there will be beauty. The branch will be made beautiful. Something, the church will be made beautiful. I want to take a look at what this means from the prophet Joel, who's spoken of in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. If you want to turn there, Acts chapter 2, 17, and it was prophesied, Joel had made this prophecy. In the last days, there it is again. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I want to draw your attention. In that last day, my spirit will be poured out. I want to take you to what the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Again. He says in verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, talking of the things of the Old Testament. These things happened as examples were written down as warnings, here it is, on whom the culmination of the ages has come, where the final days 
the final days are ushering in. In that day. I want to say that we are living in that day. In the last days, he's saying. So when Isaiah spoke in Isaiah chapter 4, when he says in that day, verse 1, in that day, verse 2, he's saying in the last days, seven women will take hold of one man. Seven women will take hold of one man. And the branch of the Lord be glorious and beautiful in the last day. I'm going to suggest that Isaiah's prophecy in this prophecy in chapter 4 is only six verses long. We're going to cover all six. In those six verses, six verses, very short chapter. And it suggests that in the last day, in that day, as Isaiah prophesies to the church, our church, in the last day, there will be two types of people. Two types of people. One that seeks only God's forgiveness so they can live without their guilt. The second type will seek the glory of the Lord. And they're not the same. Let's look into this. This word for our day. There's no question I believe we're living in the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As I read 2 Timothy 3 and you follow along with me, I'm going to read it slowly. I want you to look at what the last days look like. This was prophesied 2,000 years ago. What the last days look like. And see if it doesn't relate to the day you and I live in right now in 2023. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. There it is again. People, here's what the last days will look like. How will you know if you're in the last days? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, told you don't have to listen to your parents, ungrateful, unholy, without, that means true love, unforgiving, okay, refusing to apologize, refusing to accept responsibility, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherers, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but don't have the power. Verse 7, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. More education, more education, more education, but they don't embrace there is one truth. They can't find it. Trying to find it. Learning more, never finding. Now, does that not describe today? Describe in the last days, he said. In the last days. So Isaiah chapter 4 relates to today. Let's read that in that context. We'll go back to Isaiah 4. Let's do this again. Verse 1. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, We will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. Verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstream, the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Verse 5. Then the Lord will create over all Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. 
over everything the glory will be a canopy. I want you to note that part. Over everything the glory will be a canopy. Verse 6. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. In that day, in our day, in that day, seven, there will be a place of completion. Speaks then in verse two, the branch of the Lord. Branches that are symbolic goes back. If you want to understand what's the branch, what's he talking about? Again, symbols. What's the branch speaking of? What are branches? Well, we go back to Revelation chapter one. In Revelation chapter one, we see in the revelator that John sees Jesus standing in the midst of seven golden candle branches. Seven golden candles. And so the symbolism is the picture of the branch of the Lord, a picture of the churches. So let's go to it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. John in the vision and the spirit says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And the Bible says John fell out in the spirit when he saw him. Now it's clear, the scriptures, there's no doubt among commentators, these seven candlesticks represent the seven churches where Jesus is standing in the midst. Jesus is in the midst of his seven churches. We get to chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. You read of the seven churches, and those are all symbolic of the churches of the last day, the seven churches. Scripture refers to the church oftentimes in the feminine gender. So when we read the Scripture, we mention church, it's often used in the feminine gender. In other words, it's in the case of the bride, the bride of Christ. The church is referred to the bride. Christ is referred to the groom. So the church is mentioned in the gender of femininity. These seven would-be brides, back to Isaiah now, trying to understand what he's saying for this last day church. Isaiah chapter 4. We come back and we understand seven. In that day, seven women... Seven women. So we know that there's seven, picture of completion, and the bride. The seven would-be brides of Isaiah 4, 1, are seeking to lay hold of one man. The seven means those in the church, completion of the seven churches, in the church, not just one church, not in just one country, in the church, are seeking to lay hold of the, of the groom, they're seeking to lay hold of him. He stands in their midst. They seek to lay hold of him. Yet, here's the problem. These brides are not interested in loving him. On the contrary, they have one thing on their mind. The removal of their reproach. They want to feel better. They want to feel better. They're not interested in loving on him. They're interested... And not feeling guilty anymore. Okay? Wow. Let's go back to Isaiah. The removal of their reproach. Isaiah chapter 4 verse 1. Let's read it again. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, here it is. We will eat our own food, provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Here it is. Take away our disgrace. 
We don't want our disgrace anymore. I want to suggest two churches. Here they are again. Number one, the church that seeks only God's forgiveness so they can live without guilt and shame. Seven women approach the man and they say, you don't have to provide for us. They approach the man saying, we want, to, we want your name, but you don't have to give us any food. You're not responsible for our food. We'll look after our own food. We'll eat our own food. We'll take care of our own bread. And, and you don't have to provide any clothes for us because the husband would be the responder. The authority would give and provide, be the provider. You don't have to provide clothes for you. Don't worry about that. You don't have to provide clothes. We'll, we'll provide our clothes for us. You see where this is going? See where this is going? What's happening here? These women want to be the bride of Christ on their terms. It's on their terms. They want an arrangement without intimacy. They want love without devotion. They want an arrangement with the groom, no intimacy, and they want love but not devoted. And Isaiah says this will happen in the last days. It will happen in the church. These are the people, some, who desire to take hold of Christ only for the relief of their sense of condemnation. I don't want my guilt. I don't want to be guilty. So I go to church. I call on the name of Jesus so that I am not guilty. And, and that in and of itself is not wrong, but it's so much more than not being guilty. Your sins are forgiven. It's more than that. It's more than a sense of your forgiveness of sins. Arrangement without intimacy, love without devotion. There are those in the church who desire to take hold of Christ for the relief of condemnation. Don't want intimacy. They want forgiveness. They want their reproach of sin removed. This year, church, as we journey, as we journey in our faith, may we journey back to the cross and understand something about the cross. Because the cross of Christ, to be in Christ means to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow him. That's what it means. It's not simply that he, get, he sets you free. It's that you deny myself, I pick up the cross, and everything the cross stands for, and everything he's done for me, who he is, I go after Jesus. I go after Jesus, deny myself, pick up the cross, and follow him where he goes. Not where I want to go now. Not a we will eat our own bread type of people. We will eat our own bread. I mean, what's that? Call themselves follower of Christ, but don't want the bread from heaven. Don't want the bread of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No, we don't need that. We don't need you to feed it. You're not our source. We have other sources, thank you. We will sit at other lovers' tables, thank you. We will glean from other things. You don't have to do that. Just forgive me of my sins, would you? But we're not eating from you. There's a problem there. In the last day, in the last day. It's a permissive love is what they're seeking. These seven women are saying, listen, we want permission to go and, and to do and to glean what we want, but we still want your name. We still want to be covered. We want to be called a follower of Jesus. But we don't just want to be under your source. I mean, right in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Where's that coming from? You're my source from the God of heaven, not other sources, one God. 
This bread follows unconditional commitment to the heavenly father. In other words, your will be done. It's your will. I will follow you. I will eat and partake of you. God, you are my source. This bread follows our unconditional commitment. So Isaiah says there will be those in the last day. They state that they want bread from heaven, but they really want their own bread. The Bible actually says this is worse than we think. Hosea the prophet would speak. He would say in chapter 9, he would say their bread is defiled. Hosea 9.4, the bread of mourners, all that eat thereof shall be polluted for their bread, for their soul shall not come into the house. It will not come into the house of the Lord, his polluted bread. So we want, we want your name, but we don't want to partake of you. We have other delights that we want to delight from. And then the second thing they said, and, and, and don't worry about clothing us. Don't worry about clothing us. We have, we'll, we'll clothe ourselves. This is a church, again, a group of people who seek forgiveness and not intimacy. They say, listen, Lord, you don't have to provide us with clothes. We, we will make our own clothes. In other words, no robes of righteousness for us. No separation for us. No, we're going to put on what we want to put on. We want to wear what we want to wear. No righteousness, no purity, no holiness. No, we don't want your robes. We've got our own robes. We don't wear the robes of our Lord. They want to dress as they please. These would-be brides have no desire to submit to the authority. No desire to submit to the authority of their husband. There's no interest in his needs they don't want to know what's on his heart. They're consumed with self. Therefore, they have as little contact with him as possible. Just remove the reproach of sin, please. But as little contact as possible. Maybe once a week, they'll contact him. Maybe once every couple of weeks, they may contact him. Maybe after a few days, they forgot that they haven't really where is, where is my groom? They're clothing themselves, clothing themselves, clothing themselves, eating of their own bread, eating of their own bread, wanting to be in relationship, but not in relationship, not in relationship. And so in this particular part, consumed with self as little contact as possible, maybe, maybe a couple times, you know, a month. We, we, we'll see you a couple of times a month. They much prefer to watch him than to be with him. They much prefer entertainment and leisure and fun than being with him. They much prefer working in other things than him, than to personally get to know him. Is there intimacy here? No. No clinging to the bridegroom in love, saying, it's you and you alone. No, there's no. it's you, but you understand I want to eat elsewhere. You understand, I don't really want your robes of righteousness. I want others. Wow. Wow. Instead, they spend their time with the other loves of their lives. These loves in and of themselves probably aren't wrong. The problem is, is they miss the number one fundamental thing about being the bride. And that is, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then the rest, the rest will be added. Seek first. The first church. The first church speaks of a people, a church that seeks only God's forgiveness so they can live without reproach of guilt. 
The second church Isaiah talks about. Verse 2. In that day, the second church is the church of God's glory. Verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. So who's the branch? Well, we've already determined that. It's Jesus. According to Isaiah, there will be a church to whom he will appear beautiful and glorious. He will appear beautiful and glorious. And this church will be passionately in love with him. With him. And I want to say this is happening around the world today. I've just been communicating back. We're going to be heading to Cuba in five weeks. And uh, it'll be my 20th trip back on the missions. And there's some passion in hearing some of the stories of some people who are just passionate, lost in Jesus. As a matter of fact, my district superintendent, Jason Luscombe, was sharing on our upper prayer Zoom a week ago that he was talking to one of our missionaries in Cuba, and they were just talking about how this church is being packed and people are being gloriously ministered to and healed, and salvation in the community has hit the whole community, and they're passionately, they can't, they can't send people home. They just want to hang out with Jesus. They just want to hang out with Jesus. This is happening. Just because it doesn't necessarily happen in my backyard doesn't mean it's not happening elsewhere because there is a church. There's a church that is seeing him passionately and beautiful in his honor and his glory. This remnant is small, but it's focused on Jesus. It's focused on his finished work. Holiness and purity characterizes these people. We read it, verse 3. Those who are left in Zion who remain in Jerusalem will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem, they will be called holy. And just a side note here, this remnant, this group of people, they're not a confused lot. This is not a people running to and fro looking for the Lord. No, they have found him. And they are steadfast in their love for him. They know to whom they love. The difference, the difference between these hunger for the Holy Spirit's teaching. They hunger the Holy Spirit straight from God's word. They have a conviction when it comes to the things that will separate them from God. They turn to the robes of righteousness. They want holy living. They return to biblical virtues of obedience and faithfulness. Self-denial and true humility are what defines them. So Isaiah continues in the prophecy, verse 5. Then the Lord will create over all Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day, a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything the glory will be a canopy. Now, the original Hebrew here reads, over all shall be a covering of glory. Over all will be a covering of glory. This means over each of these remnant people, the second church, over each of these people and all of those in this remnant, there will be a hiding place, a blanket, a covering, a covering that is the very glory and essence of God himself over this people. We saw it a few times in Scripture. We go back to Exodus chapter 40. We saw it take place. In verse 34, in the time of Moses, when they dedicated the tabernacle, it says, Then the cover, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What happened? That was happening. This is what was spoken of, verse 5. The glory came and covered. Solomon's temple, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1 and 2. We see when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple because the glory filled it, the glory of the Lord. So dear ones, every time God's people were in order, 
His glory became the covering. Today we're talking about how do we discover the restoration of God's glory in this day, in this hour. Isaiah 4, we're promised that in the last day, the Lord will create a glory that will cover his church and we will worship under a canopy of glory. I think maybe, none of this was orchestrated, I think maybe we had a, a little taste, but God wants a taste only of glory, of what he could do if we would be the remnant that says, I seek you as my, my groom, my Lord, not simply to remove the reproach of guilt and sin, but that I would intimately know you. You are the bread of life. You are the robes of righteousness in you and you alone. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says, But in the last day he has spoken by he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Note verse 3. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. His son is the glory. We will sustain, we will, we will embrace him because the son is the radiance of God's glory. So why is the glory of God so important? What's the big deal? The last verse, chapter four. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. Two things I see here. Number one, the glory of God's presence will be our shelter from the heat. Heat speaks of judgment and persecution. And when the heat is on, when the heat's turned up, for the remnant, it will not overcome you. Instead, we will rest in the cool shadow of Jesus' wings. And secondly, the glory of God is our defense. It's our covering. It's a place of refuge, a place of shelter. When the storm comes at you, when the storm comes at you, he says his glory will be your defense. God says, I will share and I will be there with you. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. I'm going to see you through. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. I'm in your midst, your glory. So we come to the conclusion of Isaiah chapter four. Kind of a heavy chapter, don't you think? Two churches, he says, in that day. Be two groups of people. Those that seek only God's forgiveness so they can live without feeling reproach. But there will be another people, those that seek only the glory of the Lord. We're going to close our time. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And I thought, this, 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 has to be, this has to be proclaimed beginning of this year. Oh, God, I don't want to be in that first group. I don't want to be like the seven women that lay hold and say, listen, we don't, we don't need your bread and we don't need your robes. There are those that will. We just need a little bit of Jesus, just a little bit of Jesus so we don't feel guilty. Beloved, if you're stirred in your heart, maybe you've been in that first group, a little bit of Jesus. You know he's not been the lover of your soul. You've sung it, but he's not been the lover of your soul. He's not been the soul, passion, and desire. Then why don't today, why don't today you set some things in order and make a fresh commitment at your altar that he would be Lord Lord of all, only you. God, I seek intimacy. I seek your bread. I seek your truth. And Lord, I'm not going to come when it's convenient. I'm going to make my life, my life line up with you, that God, you are my sole purpose. And if that stirs in your heart, you go, I don't even know if I can fulfill that. Well, none of us do. 
You just set your heart in the place of desire. And then you begin to rearrange and ask God to help you to rearrange as you keep him first. And then watch the glory come because the glory of the second church, the glory will be, his glory will cover you. His glory will take you out of heat situation. His glory will be the cool in a difficult day. His glory will be your storm, your, your refuge in a time of storm. His glory. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.